This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. and welcome to Sightlines, your guide to the visual arts in and around Dunedin. I'm Sally McMillan and this show is brought to you on behalf of the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society. In today's show we focus on one artist's fierce determination to bring women out of the background of art history and into the light. But first, here's DPAG Society President Ross Curry with the latest on the Dunedin art scene. This is Snapshot. Ross, what's on around town this month? Well, Auckland artist Loni Hutchinson shows at the Milford Gallery from October the 6th to the 30th. Loni is a multidisciplinary artist who does digital works, prints and sculptures. Her signature cut-out pieces from paper, acrylic, steel and aluminium often reference indigeneity in the contemporary world. There will be a closing event for Loni on October the 30th. And Napier-based Ben Pierce had a stunning Corton sculpture in the recent Milford Sculptural Invitational. And it's great to see him returning with more of his work also on show at the Milford Gallery from October the 6th to the 30th. Ben marries deep philosophical thought with meticulous skill. He works with wood, metal, stone and found objects. And childhood is a common theme as he explores memory and emotional states. And I believe there's lots on art at Port Chalmers again this month. Yes, there is. And once again, the PC Art Gallery is in the forefront of galleries supporting local art and artists. The Port Chalmers Foundry Society is holding another exhibition at the PC Gallery to raise money to save and convert the Stevenson and Cook Building. This opens on October the 1st from 4 to 6pm. So if you want the pick of the pieces, it's advisable to get down there for opening night. And previous fundraising shows for this project have been sellouts. A large range of artists have contributed to this exhibition, including Eliza Glynn, John Z. Robinson, Madeline Child, Marion Wassena, Nigel Brown and Peter Cleverley. The Port Chalmers Foundry Society aims to establish a centre for the visual and performing arts in the former Stevenson and Cook shipbuilding complex, a home for culture and community. It will offer affordable studios and rehearsal spaces and host performances, exhibitions, sculptural installations, conferences, markets, community gatherings and artists-in-residence. Very exciting project. Indeed. And let's go to the Dunedin Public Art Gallery in October. Ross, what's happening there? A new major show with works from the permanent collection opens at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery this month from October the 14th. With a collection of over 8,000 works of art to draw from, this will give visitors a good insight into the treasures in the collection. The show will include recent acquisitions by Rita Angus, Fiona Paddington and Imogen Taylor, bought from Society Funds. There's a major new commission by Ross Hemmerer, and in line with the gallery's aim to elevate Māori and Indigenous stories, works from the Paimanu Kaitahu collection on loan to the gallery will also be on show. The spotlight is also on historical and contemporary women artists from across the collection. There's a tour for tots, babies under fives and toddlers at 10.15 Wednesday the 11th. Cora Allen will also hold a free interactive painting session at 2 o'clock on Saturday the 14th. All ages are welcome, but children must be accompanied by an adult. 
Great to see some stuff happening for kids. And finally, an interesting new art book hitting the shelves this month. That's right. The Auckland University Press is publishing a new book on Gordon Waters by Francis Pound. It's meticulously researched with interesting highlights into Waters' work, which he places not just in a New Zealand context, but in an international one. It traces Waters' steps and missteps, the technical features of his art, and the ideas that informed his work. Another one to add to your bookshelves. Thanks, Ross. And now it's time for our feature item. This month on Sightlines, we're speaking with Otapoti Dunedin artist Anita De Soto about her life and work as an artist and her quiet but at the same time bold and powerful championing of women from times gone by. Anita, welcome to Sightlines. Kia ora, Sally. Thank you very much for having me here. It's lovely to have you here. Now, you are a true quintessential Otago artist, having trained at Otago Polytechnic starting in 1997 and actually having never permanently left either Otago or the Polytech. That's right. <laughs> so you I think, trained at Otago Polytech for seven years? Yes, that's, that's right. That was uh, a very exciting Time for me to get there in my mid-30s, finally got there. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and I think you stayed there and you completed a Master's in Fine Arts and then promptly returned as a faculty member. What were you teaching? I began teaching drawing once I'd uh, finished my Master's and then moved into the painting department maybe 10 years ago, I think. 10 or so. 10, 10 years ago. And yes. I think you're still there <clears throat> 20 years later. Absolutely still there. It's the <laughs> definition of a stayer. <laughs> Many, and I, I suppose to be fair, most of the artists that we've interviewed on Sightlines have spoken of the reality of needing a day job to supplement the modest income that they earn from their art. And I know that these days you're a well-established artist and established enough that you can teach part-time, uh, but of course paint every other hour that God sends you. But for you, is there, is there more to teach than it just being a means to an end. Oh, absolutely. Um, I feel very privileged to have had a teaching career in the arts. It's uh, being immersed in a creative community and the environment where people are producing and challenging ideas on a daily basis. Um, it's just enriched my own my own practice immensely. And that sometimes means juggling between studio and work and everything else I do with family and gardening. I like to live a balanced life, so I might uh, think around the clock about painting, but I'm not always doing it. <laughs> Sounds like a very, very well-balanced life indeed. And I guess you just don't have that same stimulation that you have in the teaching environment if you're locked away in your studio every day. Well, that's how I see it, Sally. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I believe that it has opened my eyes to many approaches, ideas, influences that I don't know that I would have found. Also critiques, I don't know if I would have found them had I been working constantly on my own. But you have, however, escaped Targo from time to time for a dose of inspiration from the wider world. You had a residency in Leipzig, Germany in 2010. You were the Aratoi Fellow in 2012. In 2014, you had a residency at the New Pacific Studios in San Francisco. And 2018 saw you travel the world to Southland to take up the William Hodges Fellowship. And it's that 2018 fellowship that I wanted to talk to you about now. 
And now I think is probably the time for me to make a slight confession, which is that I've loved your painting for many years, and indeed one of your very large paintings from the 2018 series has pride of place in my hallway, but it was only when I came to your studio to discuss today's interview that it struck me. Your work is unashamedly about women, and I feel as if I'm probably the last person on earth to work that out. Can you tell us about that series, about the William Hodges Fellowship and the background to the curiously named Our Frocks Like Mountains series that you created during that time? I was uh, very honoured to receive that fellowship, um, which was for three months and was founded in 1996 and based in Invercargill, partnership between Southland Art Foundation, SIT and the Southland Museum and Gallery. Its purpose was to bring uh, Southland artists to Southland and interact with the community and give them an opportunity to respond to the local environment. And there have been some very well-known artists as well as yourself from throughout New Zealand who've been awarded the fellowship. Yes, from Dunedin, uh, artists included Joe Ogier, Janet Dewatt, Silla McQueen and Robin Belton. But there has also been Arns Westra and yeah, many, many others. I think actually now that the fellowship is um, only available to people in Southland. Right. So, I was very fortunate to get in there. snuck in just in time. (laughs) So in your case, a clue to your own response to being immersed in the Southland landscape lies in the title of your series, Our Frocks Like Mountains. It's a really curious title. Tell us about that. Well, it struck me towards the end of that body of work that these huge dresses uh, that featured in the painting were a little like the Takitimu mountain range um, with their, the snow caps that looked a lot like the lace collars on those frocks and those the women that I was uh, representing in my painting, colonial women, lived their extremely hard-working lives dragging around these enormous dresses. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Just ridiculous, isn't it, when you look at it mm-hmm. now, but mm. that was their lot. So I thought it was a, a good metaphor Yeah, that's a great metaphor. And I like the strength in it too. You know, I wanted the title to be about strength. Yes, and it certainly conveys that. So the pictures that you've created, the paintings that you've done over this time for our Frocks Like Mountains, they're based on photographs. Can you tell us about where you found these photographs and what they meant to you? Yes, well, I applied for that fellowship with a project in mind. I'd been looking in the National Library and the Hocken at colonial photographs. I was interested in um, the anonymity of the women in those photographs. Many of them had no separate identity. You know, they weren't named. They were given their fathers or their, their husbands' names. And they really did uh, appear to be ancillary to the man or men in the photographs. And I wanted to um, subvert that. It was the 125th anniversary of uh, the suffragette movement and winning the vote for women. So it was really good timing. And that was kind of accidental. I probably would have made this work anyway, but that was 
brilliant timing. I suppose that gave an extra layer of sort of significance <clears throat> and poignancy to your work. Yes, it did. Yes, it really, it really excited me to be there. I also got photographs from the yeah. museum in Riverton. Oh, great. And they were incredibly helpful um, with the archives. So I searched through hundreds and hundreds of colonial photographs looking for the ones I wanted to work with. It was really, really fascinating. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed the many hours I searched. And Sounds historically wonderful as well as artistically. You've said that you formed a real connection or you felt as if you formed a real connection with some of these women and I think you've mentioned one in particular named Iona. Can you tell us about Iona? Um, yes, Iona was a young bride of mixed race. It was a, a wedding photo I found of her um, she has two sisters, I presume, sitting either side of her. She has a Pakeha husband, and there are a couple of groomsmen in the photograph. And it was quite unusual to find mixed-race wedding photos. They were from the 1880s, and, yeah, it really interested me. And I named that painting Iona Settling Like Snow mm. because she was wearing white lace and so were her bridesmaids and I just became very familiar with all of the characters in the photos I worked with and I wondered about their lives a lot and what yes. what happened for them. Yeah, yeah. I think your goal with this series was to bring the women into the foreground and to make the new paintings about the women's story, to give the women a face, a life, a name. And in some cases you were able to discover the actual names of the women, as with Iona, but in others because, as you said before, the labels that came with the paintings really only often identified the husband or the father. We didn't know who the women were, and so you gave them a name, which I think is really beautiful. This intention was also achieved, though, by the way that you painted these beautiful works. Can you explain for listeners your technique? I used the swiping technique perfected by German painter Gerhard Richter, so I had these colonial photos that I drew up on a canvas and then I painted them up fairly um, fairly crudely, really, in, in a monochromatic way. And then when that had dried, I repainted the entire thing and while it was still wet, I smeared it um, actually with a shower, shower cleaner. <laughs> so very and technical then. <laughs> yes, that I happened, happened to have in the bathroom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, it, you know, it created a ghostly, ethereal impression. Uh, I then concentrated on fading out the men and bringing forward and making prominence the uh, women, uh, giving them centre stage. They were quite blurry too, but someone said they looked like they were underwater and subterranean. Yes, they so, do. Mm. So, yeah, they do have an ethereal quality, ghostly, and I wanted it to be about a women's story because, you know, those colonial women, they often served their families and their communities for their whole lives and then to have not even have your name on the back of a photo it's really sad it did seem sad really yes. sad this giving of greater significance to women in art has carried through now into your current series golden apple which has a baroque basis 
So a different type of art, but a similar intention um, on the part of you as the artist. Tell us about that. There was a couple of years between my golden, or maybe even four, between my golden apple exhibition and the our frocks like mountains. And over that time, I had percolated away on a ways of shifting my work. I had even um, experimented with some abstract work with um, no figure in it. But my passion is the figure. I love painting the figure. And I came back to that with perhaps a freer approach to applying paint. And I had been looking at artists uh, Flora Yuknovich and uh, Cicely Brown in the UK who referenced Rococo and Baroque. And it excited me because I wanted to broaden my ideas in a more international way. And looking to the Baroque would expand this body of work right? and give me a whole lot more material to respond to in the portrayal of women. There's certainly a lot of scope if you're using Baroque and uh, Rococo art as, mm. your, as your foundation. One of the works, Ronaldo Enchanted by Armida, I think was particularly inspiring for you and that piece of art by Rococo <coughs> artist Tipolo um, and the story behind that picture, I believe, is that Armida has to be put to death because Ronaldo fell in love or lust with her, which was, of course, Armida's fault, and she had to be killed to remove the temptation. Tell us about how that work resonated with you. Well, it wasn't until I had painted the work and I was thinking about Ronaldo off to the Crusades to murder Muslims and do his uh, so-called Christian duty and that the original painting calling Amida an, an enchantress. It's a fantastic word, isn't it? Yes. Enchantress. <laughs> yes. It all sounds very sweet and lovely, and the original painting is very pretty, candy-coloured, highly romanticised painting of, of a horrendous story, really. Mm. And I thought, well, what would it mean to have called a woman an, an enchantress in that time? she would have been burnt at the stake for seducing a man and distracting him from his Christian duty. In that era of the Baroque was the time of the witch hunts and a vast gendered genocide of women that, you know, these paintings in the Baroque times of Rococo, women are portrayed as accessories and pawns and victims and... And beauty was a death sentence, effectively. Beauty was a death sentence yeah, because yeah. it was her fault he fell in lust with her. Well, of <laughs> course it was. So in that series, you've, you've basically, you've unashamedly appropriated the works of the old masters. And I think you've flipped the narrative of women being portrayed as accessories, pawns, victims in a patriarchal society. And there's a focus, as there was in the original works, on female fertility and fecundity. These women are seriously luscious. But I think there's also a bigger message in your interpretation, whereas in your Frocks Like Mountains series, the women were deliberately brought forward into the light and named. In Golden Apple, you go one step further in terms of your treatment of the men. Yes, uh, the men are obscured or removed entirely from the original composition uh, of abstracted men or turn them into stone, trees, uh, 
various <laughs> approaches. Anything but a man. Um, and not to be malicious, but to make it a woman's story and have them in the background rather than as accessories yeah and make it about a, a woman's story about fertility rather than the master painter's idea of what female fertility should look like and and you carry that through into the coloration i think which is also <clears throat> unapologetically joyous is it not yeah i i absolutely love color and it's an endless fascination to me the language of color yeah but i've chosen bright colors for these paintings because I think it defies the misogyny of the times in which they were originally painted. It becomes really festive. Yes, it certainly does. It's very carnival-like, in fact, the, the, the color, the subject matter. It's, mm. it's quite splendid. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. These works are rendered in oils, but just as you have adapted the subject matter, I think you've also changed up the methodology, Anita. Tell us about that. I think you've said you veered away from the slick realism that characterised the original works. Yes, between my Fox Light Mountains and the Golden Apple Show, as I said, I did a lot of abstract experiments and really playful time. I don't think much came out of that as in uh, finished work, but it was a very, very liberating time of paint application and I've taken that into my newest work, bold brush strokes, smudging and blurring and thicker paint and really big brushes, broader strokes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's been very liberating. <laughs> Is there a broader message in your work about your view of the place and rights of women in the world today? Because I think you've indicated that you... You're creating something of a narrative to reflect what you see happening for women now. Tell us something about that. In my work, I'm creating something of a narrative that reflects what I see happening for women now. Uh, I see the erosion of women's rights, especially reproductive rights in the USA, and women in the Middle East being murdered for taking their veils off. In Africa, women and children are still being burnt for witchcraft and... Um, I think misogyny is alive and well, and we need to address it. Yes, yeah. and your beautiful work certainly raises awareness, particularly now that we know so much more about what sits behind it. I guess, yeah, our work here from a feminist perspective is not yet done, but do you want people to look at your work and feel that at least the women in your paintings are empowered? Yes, I do. Yeah, I want it to be a celebration of real femininity and unashamed femininity and you know I, I think that feminism does not have to be aggressive and angry <laughs> and as demonstrated by your work it can be beautiful and utter. it can be you know aggressive and angry and it, that's also valid but uh, this is I want it to be festive joyful and challenging some pretty grim history. <laughs> yeah, it is. Anita, thanks for being with us on Sightlines today and sharing your story and the story of your beautiful work. And on behalf of women past and present, I thank you for bringing us into the light. And I encourage listeners to check out your beautiful work at Gallery de Novo in Dunedin. It needs to be seen to be fully appreciated for its boldness and its beauty.
And thanks to you, our listeners. Join us again next month for another dive into the visual arts in Dunedin. If you'd like to hear today's show again or listen to previous shows, you can find us on the Otago Access Radio and DPAG Society websites. If you'd like to join the Society, you can also find a form on our website or join at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery reception. Thanks to contributor Ross Curry and our producer Jonathan Quayoff. I'm Sally McMillan and you've been listening to Sightlines. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.